much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lohr And I am Liam O'Donnell And you are listening to episode 94 of Har Business. I was about to, I thought you were going to do like a Har, and I was going to go, (laughs) Rrrr. What? Add a third, add a a second or third syllable to Har? I mean, there's a second er, right? Her, and I was going to go, Har-er business i was gonna I, whatever it doesn't matter look i don't say it right anyway because whenever i say the name of our podcast on voice to text it always writes her business because they just smush hard together into one sound yeah no i mean it's our stupid east coast accents like uh horror whore business and i'm like it's not horror business don't call it that yeah this is my podcast ha business yeah ha business so on this episode we're gonna be taking uh uh, uh, hmm. We're going to be doing a cannonball into the medium end Fuck. of a uh, a franchise that is looked fondly upon from the 1980s. We are going to be talking about 1986's uh, Critters and 1988's Critters 2, The Main Course. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I just want to say, right off the bat, similar to Ghoulies and Ghoulies 2, um, I, as a kid, was like, man, I love Ghoulies. Ghoulies is such a great movie. Because, like, I would see what I thought was Ghoulies on TV. What I was seeing was Ghoulies 2. You know, the movie with, like, actual Ghoulies where things actually happen? Sure, yeah. When, when I finally saw Ghoulies, I was like, this isn't fucking the movie that I... Well, we're the ghoulies. And that is the same thing that happened with, with Critters and Critters 2. All of my fond memories I had of Critters were parts from Critters 2. And I didn't have that many fond memories to begin with. So there you go. Whoa, this is going to be a great episode because we are coming from very different places when it comes to these movies. Oh, no. I didn't I didn't dislike them. It's just... Uh, I, I spent a lot of time watching the first film being like, well, I, I don't, what the fuck is, who, what is, uh, where the, where's the bounty hunter with the boobies? Where's the big ball critter? Where, uh, where, where's that at? Like, I will say that my memory was, I thought the bounty hunter uh, who uh, becomes the playboy model, uh, I thought, that was the third Critters, and it turns out I've never seen the third or fourth or fifth, maybe, Critters? Are there five of these movies? There's four Critters proper in the original franchise, and then there was a mercifully short-lived series on Shudder called like, Critters right. Attack or yes, something like that. Yes, 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 yes. And then there was a fifth movie that came out not that long ago called, like, just Critters Attack. Yeah, Critters A New Binge was um, the series that was on Shudder. And then in 2019, they did Critters Attack. I didn't watch any any of that. I didn't watch any of that. I haven't seen anything past three. And I barely remember three. Yeah. Well, like I said, everything that happened in two that I thought was cool 
I thought was what was in three, and then I just realized, no, I've just never seen three. <laughs> so, before we get into um, what is arguably the most successful ripoff of Gremlins, even though the fucking people who made this movie deny it up and down, they're liars, um, we should talk about who this episode is brought to you by. Critters. Liam. Who is this episode brought to our beloved listeners by? Primarily critters. Yeah, the fucking crites are they're, they're <laughs> the crites are, are they're are subscribing to us on Patreon. I'm I'm basically a crite. You don't even know. You don't know where what I'm like when I don't shave every day. What? Um yeah, You're okay, so <laughs> so you don't you don't fucking know that for sure. Uh hey, this episode, like every episode, is brought to you uh, you know, Obviously, the listener, but primarily those listeners that support us on Patreon. Um, we are so thankful that there are folks who give of their hard-earned money and get very little in return for supporting this project, and we very much appreciate that. We are hoping to increase the things that you get in return. Um, if you are one of our Patreon folks, just a reminder to check your uh, your old me- message box there on the Patreon. Uh, just updated with some stuff, and uh, just want you to know about it. All right, let's just say that. That's all I'm gonna say. Uh, big ups to uh, Sophia and uh, Paul, who got back to me about uh, some Patreon stuff. So I very much appreciate that. Uh, anyone else out there, if you're wondering where your shirt is, or you want to suggest an episode topic, or some of the other benefits on Patreon, hit me up. And if you think you're not a Patreon supporter, and you think, wow, that all sounds cool, you don't even know how cool it can get. So hit us up, patreon.com backslash cinepunks, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Get into it. Just get at us and let us know. If you're a patron, let us know what you want to do. No reasonable offer will be refused. It's true. Liam, who else is this podcast brought to you by? Well, those lovable jerks at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Okay, so I have an idea for a t-shirt, like a bootleg t-shirt, because bootlegs are all the rage these days. You know, I don't, I know, have, I don't know anything about that. No, no, no. You, of course, you're a law-abiding citizen. No one from Warner Brothers or uh, anyone has come after you. It's fine. Don't, don't get so specific. I'm not going to name any names of where I got these shirts from. But um, I myself have recently purchased a Psychedelic Furs bootleg shirt because I love the Psychedelic Furs. And I cannot find any black Psychedelic Furs shirt through any viable uh, outlet. If I wanted to get a bootleg shirt made for heavy metal star Johnny Steele, writer of the hit single Power of the Night, where would you go? Where would you say I go to get that made? Well, I mean, the obvious choice here, both for the subject matter and the fact that it's something you need to get screen printed, is Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. The the premier premier screen printing company of the greater Lehigh Valley area. It's true. Which really makes it part of the metropolitan area of New York City. Just saying. The mega megapolis of the East Coast. Like the the, <laughs> yeah. the yeah. corridor of like Mega City One that eventually will take over. Yep. Any day now, Judge Dredd's going to show up on the streets of Easton. You mean me with like a baseball helmet on and a shotgun just <laughs> yelling about how I am the law and... 
Yeah. You know, whatnot. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. That sounds about right. Um, so yeah, if you need to get a shirt printed for your punk rock band, your post metal band, your tool tribute band, your primus tribute band, your um I don't know, fantasy baseball league. Your podcast. If you have a podcast and you're getting shirts made by, by fucking T Public or Redbubble, what the fuck are you doing? We're gonna beat okay. you up. Why are you giving money to big corporations? Those people don't give a fuck about you. They talk shit on you behind your back. They do. Chris reject as many things. An asshole. Sure. A grumpy motherfucker. An unbearable yep. human to be human being to be around. But one thing Chris is not is a completely heartless capitalist. Chris cares about his workers. It's a small company. He puts money back into the community, and he actually cares about how his money is spent and what causes he supports. So if you have something you need T-shirts for, you can go to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. Do not let those X's fool you, okay? Chris Reject, like I said, he's many things. He knows way too much about professional wrestling. He has two chihuahuas that look like uh, these like strange hounds of Tindalos that have risen from the grave, like a very moist grave after like a rain where they've been buried for like a couple weeks and they look rotten. He owns those dogs. He is a weird dog owner of monster dogs, but he's not straight edge. He is no, never has been. No, and like I said last, like I said last episode, and I don't mean in the whole like, hey, broke edge, not straight No, he never was knuckle dragger way. I mean, he has never been anything within spitting distance of straight edge. Man, I really went hard on the making fun of people who say that. I feel kind of bad about that. Yeah, yeah, I know it's okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of not being straight edge, you know who else supports this podcast? Fuck. God damn. I just questioned my own edge on recording because I love EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Look, I'm a coffee person. Maybe to you that means I'm a sellout, but me and Stephen Welch and the uh, Mike who owns Grindcore House would like to fight you about that because the reality is we think a good cup of coffee doesn't get us out of the brotherhood. I don't, I don't. I can't continue this this line of thinking though because I don't actually know if Aaron is straight edge or not. But I do know that he makes a good I cup of coffee. I, I, I think he's a former edge 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 person. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Point is, no, it's not important. The point is here is that you want good coffee, coffee, right? And you want to get it from people that you can trust, and you want that coffee to be as fresh as possible, and you want to know that in buying it, you're buying it from people who have purchased it. Um, as ethically as possible, because a lot of the communities that grow coffee are exploited communities in other parts of the world. And you can trust all of that from our man Aaron at Essex Coffee Roasters. Also, hey. he, he does uh, fundraisers to help different causes. He works with us. We're actually going to do a Cinepunks roast coming soon. So, uh, you know, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. If you enter the code at checkout in the, in the code area, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, you will get 10% off your order. Have you heard, have you fucking heard Give Blood? Imagine the passion that went into that record that put into coffee. Just think of that for one fucking second, okay? And then go to your computer and order some coffee from Essex Coffee Roasters. It's good coffee. 
I don't I don't really drink coffee, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I do. It, well, it's funny because again, it's another sponsor that I actually use. Like when we do this for LVAC, y'all, like we actually get our shit printed there. So it's not like it's just our friend's business and we hope he doesn't suck. Like we full on know. It's the same thing with Essex. Like with when I first ordered his coffee, I remember thinking, fuck, I hope this doesn't suck, man, because that's going to be a bummer to be like uh, endorsing some coffee I can't get behind. So I was so happy. Like, and I've tried a bunch of his stuff now, and uh, it's all very good. I have kind of picky coffee taste too and it it you know it makes me happy and what's more he's not an elitist like he very much if if you go to the site you're confused about what the different kinds of coffee are you want help figuring it out Aaron's going to help you out because he's not some you know super barista out here making people av- average folk who just want some good coffee feel bad about not knowing about it he wants to help you learn about coffee and i really appreciate that you know especially as someone who has strong coffee tastes but hasn't retained a lot of coffee knowledge so i don't really i know what i like but i don't really know much about coffee so i find their website really helpful for that wonderful we should get some hard business coffee made i don't know what that would entail but you know Whatever, man. Whatever. I'm just man. saying, it would be cool. It would be cool. The issue, of course, is that I would just be picking the coffee again because I'm certainly not letting Josh pick the coffee for the for the Cinepunks one because Josh likes just the most burned acidic coffee he can find. Well, Josh me... literally said to me, he he likes the worst possible coffee because it's it helps him not miss cigarettes. So he wants coffee that makes his mouth feel gross like cigarettes. That's a horrifying logic. I mean, his breakfast used to be, you know, coffee and cigarettes. And so he wants the coffee to help him not miss the cigarettes, basically. All right. Well, let me pick the coffee. Show me the fucking coffee and I'll pick it. Oh, man. Oh, man. Anyway, the time has come. Oh, God. The time has come to when Liam and I are flying our ship through the the, the cosmos. and We get a our... Our dashboard, the hologram comes up, and it's this weird alien, and it says, like, uh, hey, Ugg and Lee, Liam and Justin, we have a bounty for you, and the Krites have gotten us planet Earth. And I say, okay, and I look at Liam, and I say, hey, Liam, <laughs> this is the shittiest thing I've ever done. What movies have you watched recently? This is, or what have you done recently is, involving horror? This is the worst transition that you've, it really you've come up with. Yes. Um, I you know I haven't done a lot, but uh, I did watch a little movie called Climate of the Hunter. How is that? It is weird. It is a weird movie. Um, uh, let's call it a non-traditional vampire movie, which people will know. I like untraditional vampire movies. You know whether that is a movie we discussed. You know, my heart can only beat if you tell it to, or an older one that's a classic, Martin by uh george romero uh this movie is mm, it's almost more of like an awkward drama i would say that uh has a possible vampire in it but then maybe it doesn't have a vampire in it it is it's just one of those i don't know i i it's hard to explain i i would not recommend it to most viewers so that sounds like i didn't like it but I kind of liked it. It's a uh, it's a lot of like older actors with weird dialogue, kind of awkwardly interacting with each other. There's a lot of humor in it, but it's a certain kind of humor that 
um, doesn't have a punchline. It's all like awkward situational kind of humor. And I think it functions probably more as a dark, mm, surrealist comedy than it does as a horror film. But, you know, there's vampires and murder in it, so it's a little hard not to think of it as a horror film. Um, There's just no effort made. And I don't mean this in the way where it's like, oh, this is an atmosphere movie. I mean this quite literally. There's no effort made in this movie to scare you. It's just not something they're interested in. And so uh, it's the loosest possible way to do a horror movie in that way. That being said, you know, it's getting some attention and stuff. So I wanted to check it out. And I I definitely found it entertaining. I just know that this would play better with our friends who just like weird things and not our friends who are looking for some like serious scares. It's definitely not that. Uh, I I also uh, rewatched something, um, something that is considered a classic by a very few, but often considered one of the worst movies of all time. Ghost. Exorcist to the Heretic. Oh. I picked up the old Blu-ray because it was on sale, and uh, I gotta say, I'm in the pro camp. I'm in the pro camp. Now, it's fine. now I'm not as far into the pro camp as the quote from our website that's on the back of the DVD. <laughs> who, because, who the fuck wrote that? Rob Scavarla. God bless uh, him. Because Rob, for those of you who don't know, not only does Rob like this movie, he classically hates the first Exorcist, thinks it's a terrible film. And so the quote they pulled was, Possibly the most interesting of the franchise in that it chooses to be weird on purpose or something along those lines. And uh, I got to say, though I disagree with him, I actually love The First Exorcist in the way that I love things that don't love me back. I do agree that this movie is fucking insane. And if you go into it knowing that, not thinking, oh, yeah, I'm about to see the sequel to the one of the greatest horror films of all time. And instead you go in thinking, this shit's going to be wild. Guess what? It's real wild. It's like exactly that. It's real wild. I think it's it does suffer. And I know like Linda Blair talks a lot about this. Um, they rewrote the script constantly. The director had one vision for what the movie would be. And the original uh, script writer had another. And so the director brought in another screenwriter. And they rewrote the script over and over again. Mostly because they couldn't decide on an ending um they had this whole theme in their minds around locusts that they bring in and work really heavy uh whereas um the original script writer was more interested in this concept of like connecting people via technology so hence the focus on the hypnosis and all that stuff um yeah it just it takes a lot of chances it's very weird it's more of an international film um I don't love the ending, but that being said, I still am mostly entertained by it, which I really went in thinking, I'm just going to like the score because it's a Morricone score. And if anyone's ever seen the trailer, it's one of the best horror trailers of all time. Like the use of the score with the fast cutting, that trailer makes you want to see that movie. Even if you hate that movie, you see that trailer and go, oh shit, this looks crazy. And and it is crazy. It's just not crazy the way you want it to be. Um, but I still found it mostly entertaining and uh, and I kind of like that I like it because I, I think this means I like the entire Exorcist franchise, which 
uh, is interesting because I don't think there's another franchise I can say that about, really. I don't hmm. think. But, you know, I mean, I, I guess that's not really true. I guess I would have to watch The Exorcist show because that's technically part of the franchise. But of the original three movies, I think I sincerely enjoy all three movies. Like, Interesting. unapologetically enjoy them. Yeah. Which is like, that's cool. Um, I don't think I'm as... Uh, insane as Rob Scuvarla and thinking that the second one is superior to the first one. But I but I get why he feels that way. He just doesn't like the first one. And honestly, that's how the director felt. They offered the first one to the director of part two before Freakin. He was supposed to be the original director and he just thought it was too fucking depressing. He's like, this shit is dark. I don't want to do this. And like... You can tell that in the second movie because as weird and as filled with demon shit as that second movie is, it's kind of upbeat in a way, you know? Okay. Um, the one big thing, the one part that gets really dark that they actually is way less than it was in the script is there's a part where, uh, you know, Reagan is supposed to try to seduce the priest and it still kind of happens, but in the original script, apparently it was like super fucked up, but, uh. But Reggie, but uh, Linda Blair, who's was seventeen at the time, was like, "Nah, I'm not doing this shit." <laughs> <laughs> she just was like, "I get it, but no, this isn't happening." <laughs> so you know, respect to her for making that decision because uh, what does happen, which is very mild, is uncomfortable enough. I couldn't imagine if it got explicit that would like severely bum me out. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, yeah, Exorcist to the Heretic. I mean, all I can say is, look, if you've never seen it and you know that a movie that is slightly incoherent but is kind of wild is, like, up your alley, I would say watch it. Um, I watched the longer cut, and I will just straight up say the movie's too long. And I get one of the big criticisms of it is the dialogue that the you know the, you know the kind of dialogue where people say things and then someone else says something and it's not clear that those people are actually talking to each other they're just saying things out loud that yes. happens that happens sometimes and i get that that's annoying but what they're saying is so weird for me that i kind of love it so i kind of don't mind <laughs> so i don't know i i again we have plenty of listeners who are more into traditional horror you know and people who you know, I think justifiably Worship the Exorcist is one of the bleakest films ever. Certainly the bleakest high high grossing film in American film history. Very, very possible. Uh, I, I don't know why you would like this movie if that's how you feel, honestly. If it's like that, that's I, I can see what not liking the movie. But for those people who are less uh precious about the first one and they want to see something just fucking off the wall i think this is worth watching i had fun with it i think it's a it's more of an adventure film but it's a good time cool <laughs> anything else uh, how do you feel about it justin do you hate that movie it's been i, I think I, I don't even think i've ever watched it all the way through but i remember not liking what i saw but <laughs> admittedly i was maybe 16 so not Te- like arguably not a real human being. Well, sure, but I, I, I mean, it barely, if it, it, it barely qualifies as a horror film. So you know what I mean. It's more, it's almost like a dark adventure. You know, it has more of the DNA of the Mummy than it does of the First Exorcist. So you know, go in with that in mind, and you might find yourself enjoying how weird it is. Interesting. Uh, anything else? That's it for me, unfortunately. Uh, I watched a little movie last night called Sater. 
Oh yeah, put out by Yellow Veil. Yep. Uh big big ups to Kayla Era who sent us the sent me the screener. Um she has a shirt friend, in the middle of the way. Friend of the show, Joe Yannick. Uh it works at Yellow Veil, so big ups to him. Yes. Um, it was fine. I like what they were going for. I just don't think they were entirely successful in pulling it off. Okay. Um, All right. There's like a lot of really creepy imagery. And I think if they would have leaned into that a little more, it would have been a truly frightening movie. But it's almost like they were like holding back in that element and trying to go with like, uh, like a dark family history, which I appreciate. You know, I enjoy films about like dark family histories. So I would recommend it if you enjoy like kind of slow burn, minimalist, like atmospheric, grim movies. That's all I can really say about that. Uh, uh, I also watched a movie called Synchronic. That oh, was yeah. the new uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson film. That movie made me cry uh, several times out of both despair and joy that what I was witnessing. Um, wow. I like the movies those guys make. I liked Resolution and The Endless, but not as much as I liked uh, Spring, which was the first movie of theirs I saw. This movie reminds me more of Spring tonally than it did of uh, The Endless and Resolution, even though it's kind of about the same thing. Like, I think I said on like Twitter or Facebook, it's sort of like, it's a very Lovecraftian film, not like in a, like Spring is a Lovecraftian film the way that there are like weird tentacly monsters posing yeah. as human beings. Um, yeah. Like uh, their other movies um, are Lovecraftian in the sense that part of their main premises is that like what humanity sees going on in the universe and in the world around them may or may not be real. Because they may or may not be perceiving what's actually going on in the way that it's actually existing. Um, sure. This movie deals with uh, – the movie actually reminded me of a short story by Frank Belknap Long called The Hounds of Tindalos where um, it's about a guy. He's like the narrator of course and his friend who's like a like a weird – you know, think like a like, like like a Frank Cotton type who like has to go. He's like a hedonist, and he he gets this drug um, that that he has been told allows him to see backwards in time. So the whole plot of, of the short story is he takes this drug, and then he's dictating to his friend what he sees, and then what we're seeing is his friend's notes. Like he's seeing like oh, and I'm seeing like uh, industrial England, and now there's like the fucking king and he's doing this and then it gets even like he's like and then there's a race of serpent men who were enslaved like all this shit like it goes from like classically accepted history back into like um you know weird uh like cimmerillion um like lovecrafty and stuff like different races of beings like and it gets like creepier and creepier until eventually like it's revealed at like the end of time there's these beings um called the hounds of tindalos that like they see him seeing them and then they come forward to hunt him and, you know, all this like horrifying shit happens. Anyway, this movie is, it's about a drug that allows you to see back in time or to see time as it actually happens in like one continuous flow and not like the past, past, present, future. And that premise alone is like super cool, especially in the hands of two filmmakers like Moorhead and Benson. 
But like on top of that, the the, the stories of the characters, it's you know these two paramedics, um, Jamie. It's not Jamie, but Jamie Gray and Anthony Mackey. The stories of what these guys are experiencing because they keep finding these people like with these weird like they find a guy with like a spear wound and they're like what, what, there's no spear. And then eventually it's revealed, oh, these people are like taking this drug and then getting attacked by what they're seeing because it can see them. Whether they're seeing like indigenous people or, um, you know, one woman gets bit by a species of rattlesnake that's been extinct in Louisiana for like 100 years. But the thing that like really got me and also uh, just a heads up to like people like me. A dog doesn't die, but there is a very sad scene with a dog in this movie, so just trigger warning for that. Eventually, like, it comes out that, like, Jamie Gray's character, his, like, marriage is falling apart, and he doesn't really know what he's doing with his life. He's growing, like, further and further away from his family, and, like, Anthony Mackie's going through all this shit, and then they start to grow away from each other, and they realize that, like, what the thing that they could always rely on in the world was each other. Like their friendship was what they based their entire lives on. And it's just this really cool story about like male bonding and, um, you know, friendship and how sometimes that transcends family and just this like really neat, intimate story about two men being like emotionally vulnerable with each other. Sure. Yeah. And then like, spooky Lovecraftian time travel shit happening on the background. Like it was really fucking good. It was and it, like, it was like I said, it was a really, you know, I, I fucking choked up at the end. It was, it had a really like all the, all the beats were there. All the, all the, all the tearjerker parts were earned. Like the fucking acting was on point. It was just a really like a solid movie, like way better. I mean, I knew I was going to like it. Cause again, I, I cannot sing the glories of these two filmmakers loud enough, but like, Holy fuck! Like I felt after watching that movie, I was just like, "Oh, okay, this was this was a moment for me. This 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 was a movie that has affected me, and this movie has changed me for the better. And I am richer as a person for having seen it." I'm into that. Yeah, what was I gonna say? Also, the stand is pretty cool, and Wandavision is pretty cool. I'm into Wandavision. I'm I haven't gotten to watch the stand yet. Um, I hear mixed things though. Uh, what do you think about the people who aren't into it? Like, are, do you get they're why fucking they're not wrong. into it? Whoa. Okay. All right. No, no. I mean, I, I understand why they're not into it, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, there are things that I don't like about it, but they're like nitpicky things that sure. no yeah. reasonable person outside of like me and, uh, like the two other people who obsess over the stand as much as I, do. you know what I mean? Like, oh, there's a character from the book that's not in the movie. I'm going to fucking yeah. whine about it. Um, I do like the fact that they're making... I mean, you've read the book, right? Yeah. Uh, they are doing a really good job of making Harold Lauder like a really sympathetic character, which I don't think the miniseries really succeeded at. I, I don't think it really drove home the idea of, like, there's a scene in the book where he realizes, like, I could stop listening to whatever this weird pull from the West is. I have a life here. These people care about me. Like, none of them think I'm this fat fucking nerd who jerks off in his room. Like, I've made my peace with Franny. Like, I could have a life here. And yet he is still unable to help himself and going forward and, like, ruining all that. Like, that's a bummer. And they're doing a really good job of leading up to that in this this TV series. Hmm. 
I'm into that. I always found that part of the story pretty compelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I want to watch it. I just haven't gotten there. Other than that, I haven't really, uh, I don't know. I'm rereading The Shining, and that's always a bummer because I get fucking livid at Stanley Kubrick. But, you know, that's that's just life. That's... When, am I not ang- when am I not angry at Stanley Kubrick? You're always trying to start this fight, and I just think that no one wants to have it with you. Yeah, because rightfully so, because they're afraid of me. No, that's not why. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about 1986's sci-fi comedy horror film directed by Stephen Herrick, Critters. <laughs> we'll be right back. Of all the planets in the galaxy, they chose ours. They hide in small places. This phone is dead. What? They light the dark. Jay, any luck? Just a minute. There's nothing cute about them. They've come a long way. And they're hungry. And we are back to talk about 1986's American sci-fi comedy horror film directed by Stephen Herrick and his director, Libby, co-written by Dominic Muir and Key... Don... Don Key... Oh! Uh, the, the actor who played Charlie co-wrote this. I never knew that. Oh, yeah. That's cool. That's pretty cool. Um, do we have to explain what fucking Critters is about? You guys know what Critters is. Um, little furry things escape from their intergalactic prison and come to Earth and then just start eating. Yes. They are smart, but they're also really hungry. So they're trying to balance those things out. Okay. I'm glad you got to that. Let's talk about that right now. Because this has been like leaning. This has been like, you know how like Jacob Marley forged the chains that he carried with him throughout the afterlife? Sure. I myself have forged the chains in the last week or so since watching this movie They've been carrying around my neck to talk about this. Okay. One of the things, and I think you're going to sympathize with this movie about this with me because you have brought this up in the past about this show. One of the things that bothers me is about alien movies. Yes. Is when there's an alien that is smart enough to pilot a, a, a ship to Earth. And yet, when it gets here, acts like a, mon- like a complete fucking monster. Okay, and so you you're you're saying that this movie does that to a point. I I would argue I don't think so, and you in fact, that, you don't think it does. That's it? the only flaw of the second film. I think I you know putting my cards on the table. I think that's I, the only flaw of the second film. I well, in comparison to the first film, because okay. I think a lot of people are like the second one is so much better than the first, and I think that's mostly true, except for 
I think the first film actually goes out of its way to make sure you know that these things are smart, especially in a particular scene where one of them gets shot and then the other one stops and goes, wait, they have weapons? Like, (laughs) because straight up, no one, this is the thing. This is the thing people need to keep in mind. The reason the critters have come here, besides the fact they're just running, is uh, no one thinks Earth is a place where beings worth caring about reside as is evidenced by the bounty hunters because the bounty hunters don't have any animosity towards humans they just don't give a fuck because no one does coming to earth is not like uh going to the town next door it's like going to an ant colony and you're like look i get it there's ants here but i don't fucking care um it's the same thing for the critters only imagine the ants are made of chocolate the critters show up. They're already a problem. All they do is eat people. That's like what they do is eat other aliens. They they are insatiable monsters, right? So they come to Earth because they're like, yeah, we could just eat all the stuff and it's great. And then the first time one of them gets shot, they're like, wait, what the fuck? They have guns here? Like, Holy I mean, they don't shit, say that- guns, but they say weapons. And that scene is so good because the response from the other one is, who cares? And then he gets shot. And I was like, yeah, fucking A. Because the reason that even works in the plot is because up to that point, the critters are ready to just storm the house and eat everything in their way. And the reason the movie's able to slow down is because it's the first time the critters have stopped to realize that these are intelligent creatures. They just think they're eating, you know, loud livestock. livestock. You know, they're, they're running around and complaining but who cares they're not real beings and it's only when they get hurt that they're like wait a minute this this maybe isn't what we were thinking it was going to be and in the end that you know that they're, they're they they i think want to just get away by the end of the movie like they're just yeah they, like, they they fucking steal the girl yeah as like a as like a you know a larder so in that sense i think they i mean granted it do i think it's a it's they've done the technical work to let us know how smart these things are. No, 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 no. The movie doesn't give that much of a fuck. But it it is they easily could have been like alien, right? Or aliens, and just be like space bugs, but scary space bugs. But instead, they break out of a prison using smarts. They literally Oh yeah, no. That 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 was my whole thing, is like they make it very clear that like this isn't like this isn't like a like an intergalactic dog pound that's no, yeah, bringing yeah, yeah. in like a game warden like it's a prison ship these things are prisoners you know there is a there's a sentient uh there there are sentient beings that are they're they're not in a in a zoo they're in a prison and they they man, they, they 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 fucking engineer like an escape and now, and like like they hijack a ship like the fastest ship so they know what they're doing um and they're dangerous enough to where it's not they're just like ah fuck them let them go like they have to hire like these bounty hunters to go after them sure which i think lends the idea of like this like intelligence yeah. um but i you know maybe i am just thinking of the second one where it's just they're they're just kind of like stupid easily led animals in, in the first one they talk a lot and it's great when they talk i love that in the second one one of the few times they talk is when the bounty hunter tries to trick them and it's actually really off-putting because you're like oh yeah they do talk right because like most of the second movie they just never talk and 
it's so weird because it's like otherwise the the second movie really takes everything like balls to the wall and it's a lot of fun. But that's literally the, balls to the wall. Yeah, literally. But this is the one thing where they just they just don't talk much and and I wonder if it's because the, while the second one has a lot of uh, special effects when it comes to the rolling of of the krites, uh, they don't do as many close ups except for in a few key scenes. Whereas in the first movie, there's a lot of like seeing them up close and having them talk to each other a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. But there's a lot less of their mobility. You know what I mean? Like this, the the mobility of the puppets seems more important in the second movie than this first movie. So in this first movie, I mean, don't get me wrong. Again. I, I noticed it enough because I am also annoyed by the whole, like, these aliens piloted a spaceship here, but then when they got here, they could barely walk. So, like, I noticed that they were, like, talking to each other and stuff and thought that was pretty cool. But is the movie, like, super consistent about that? Do we get any idea of, like, their society? Is someone in charge? Do they have a commander? Like, none of that stuff is explored because it doesn't matter. Like, the movie, the the... When you read reviews of this movie on Letterboxd, the thing everybody wants you to know that they know is that this is a Gremlins ripoff. Everyone keeps bringing it up, you know. Oh, no. For, okay. for a Gremlins ripoff, this is pretty good. And I, all those people can get fucked. It is a Gremlins ripoff in the sense that after Gremlins, anyone who had an idea that involved puppets could get money because everyone was like, well, puppets, puppet movies seem to be doing pretty good. Yeah, let's try it. But I, I, I just I, want to interject here. There is a key difference between this yes. movie and Gremlins. Are you ready? Yes. Critters and the subsequent franchise, they are movies. Gremlins and Gremlins 2 are films. <laughs> I, just, I just want that to be on record. Uh, that's funny. I would say the key difference here, for me at least, is that um, – Critters are actually a part of a much longer tradition of weird things from space, right? Yeah. Like that's a thing that always happens. And so no, this, this is, is just one of those movies. This is essentially um, the blob, the deadly spawn, right? Killer clowns from outer space, you know, like. Or go back to like any. I mean, in reality, how far are these from those? What are those fluffy things on Star Trek? These are tribbles. Yeah, they look like tribbles when they're not standing up, and you can see their gross inner inner sides. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they, they kind of remind me of like uh, you know porcupines or groundhogs or you know what I mean? Like yeah. those sort of animals that can like ball up, and then when they stand up, they're whatever. Um, but like, yeah, I get it. Okay, yes, it's another movie with puppets, and they're. I guess supposed to be kind of funny, but they're a, there's a lot less effort to make them funny. They talk, but they don't have like quips and shit. You know what I mean? Like they, I mean, they swear, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. But it's less like they're not cracking jokes or playing pranks or they just want to eat, man. They're fucking hungry. They're just going to eat whatever. You know what I mean? Um, but like, okay. So that's the thing most people say is that the, the gremlins rip off. I will say the one aspect of this first movie that reminded me a little bit of the gremlins is, um, there's a focus on character, like there's a real establishing of this family, of the characters in this family. I mean, I would say the only sort of uh, person in the family that doesn't really maybe get much attention is uh, our man Billy Zane as the boyfriend, because he's really just there because you know he's going to get eat. Yeah, he's a fucking red shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's it. Like a lot of the film before the critters really do a ton, or the crites rather. Uh, is that uh, is getting to know this family and and you know, 
in that sense, I think that probably is the closest relationship to Gremlins is that yeah. let's set up this like idyllic scenario in this town and this like uh, community. Like that is uh, obviously an important part of what's going on. I mean, they even give like in a, you know, in Gremlins, like Mr. Murray was the kind of guy who was like the, the town crackpot. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, not to look too far, I know, but like, I do appreciate that they kind of gave Charlie in this movie, who's like the, the goofball movie, they gave him kind of a tragic backstory. Yeah. Like, you know, when you, when you think of like critters, you're like, oh yeah, Charlie, he's like the goofy guy. It's like, no, Charlie was like on his way out of this town as a fucking like baseball player. Yeah. Like Charlie had big things coming his way and he succumbed to alcoholism. Like, and now everyone thinks he's a fucking joke. Like that's kind of that that that's a little bit more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It adds like a weight to this story that right. You know, not much. I mean, it's not this fucking like powerful human story about overcoming like addiction, but like it is there, and it doesn't need to be there. Um, well, I think a, a, you know you made a comparison early on, and I, I think that's a fair comparison to make to the Ghoulies movie, right? Which is like. I know a lot of people like it. To me, it's one of the most disappointing movies I've ever watched. Like Ghoulies, the Ghoulie, the first Ghoulies movie is a fucking shitty D and D movie that happens to have some puppets in it, and the puppets <laughs> are not even like well orchestrated. You know what I mean? Yeah, they suck. They suck so bad. Um, there's no reason for Critters to be a much more carefully made, well written interesting movie than Ghoulies. It could just be Ghoulies. There's no particular reason it's not at the Ghoulies level. And while I certainly wouldn't hold it up to Gremlins in and of itself, because, you know, I think there's a lot about Gremlins that's really great, and I love Joe Dante, um, it's certainly not a trash movie. Like, comparing it to Gremlins is not like comparing, um, you know, Slayer to your neighbor's uh, cover band in his garage you know what i mean like yeah it's it makes sense that people compare it to gremlins to me partly and, and like that's what i'm sure you could get at here this is the only place where i see it be a bit of a ripoff is they spent some time giving us a sense of this community in this world that the critters are about to like have a feast in you know what i mean and yeah. and more importantly that the bounty hunters are about to start blowing up almost for no reason like <laughs> well that's that's another thing that i i really appreciate about this movie is like the puppet designs in this movie are very cool you got these things that roll around they shoot little spikes um they're semi-intelligent like these things the movie could have started with these things landing and then just eating shit right away the fact that they added this weird like opening with like the warden of like an intergalactic prison like contacting these bounty hunters to come to earth and then there's the whole thing with the bounty hunters like they didn't need fucking any of that. We didn't need any backstory on the Krites. We didn't even need to know if they were called Krites. Uh, I appreciate in like a really weird way that someone was like, we better explain <laughs> where they come from. Um, we better have a back. They have to have a backstory. And also there should be bounty hunters. Um, I think that kind of puts this not necessarily above a film like The Deadly Spawn, but I think maybe outside of the same on I guess I, I'll say at least on par with it because I do I do like the deadly spawn more than this movie um but 
I like the fact that they 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 gave a reason for why these things are here. And there were there were more than just like one day aliens show up and start eating shit, which I'd have been fine with. And I think a lot of people would have been fine with. The fact that they were like, we should have alien bureaucracy and bounty hunters, and then like a really weird like redemption story for Charlie involving the bounty hunters. I just think that that shows like a like a a dedication to making something that was more than just like a shitty eighties B movie, which they could yeah. have easily done with and just rested upon the design of, of the critters as like a gory, like free for all. And they tried to go for something more than that. And I, I, I think it, I mean, I, I don't think it works a hundred percent, but I think it definitely puts it. Um, I, I, I think it, it rests on laurels that are more than just cool monsters. Well, I think, I mean, again, it's, I don't want to hype it up too hard for folks, but, you know, I will admit I do have a certain amount of nostalgia for it that I find it pretty entertaining. Like the whole time I was watching it, I was, I was pretty sold on the movie. And I guess I also prefer the Deadly Spawn, but like the best way to explain that is like, you know, there are, there are hardcore demos I prefer to like many like classic metal albums. But okay. if someone was like, yo, but this metal record is definitely a better record in every objective way, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Like, I think if someone wants to say like, well, Deadly Spawn is a better made movie, I'm like, no, that's that's obviously not true. Like, Critters is a full-ass movie, and at times the Deadly Spawn is like, what the fuck is even happening right now? <laughs> I just happen to be the kind of person that prefers that energy. And in fact... You know, we're about to cover the second movie. I prefer the second movie, but I actually prefer the second movie to the first for the ways that it gets more fuck it off the wall. And I yes. and I think that as much as I'm lifting up the, mm, I don't know what's a good way to put it, but like not just the filmmaking aspects of the first movie, but I want to lift up the care, the idea that like the beginning of this movie feels like someone saying like. Hey, I've watched the same Spielberg movies you have. Let's set up this charming family in this town and show you the ways that they are endearing and the ways that they fall short. And then you'll care more about them. Like, I love all of that. But if someone on set had been like, also, more fucked up shit should happen, then I think this movie would be amazing. Like, I might even like it better than the movie it's supposedly ripping off, Gremlins, because I like that this is more of a horror movie in some ways. But in reality, uh, because it is so similar in tone to maybe not specifically Gremlins, but those sorts of 80s movies, and then it doesn't push the craziness of the Krites much further. And, and I'm sure, I, I don't want to sound like a hard critique on that. That might be a budget thing. You know, that might just be they didn't have the money to do more than what they did. I don't know. But the fucking giant ball of Krites from the second movie is such a goddamn magical thing that, like, I wish there was something. It's so fucking insane. There's nothing as as cool as these puppets are. The design is good. I think the characterization is good. Um, there's nothing to me as absolutely off the wall as there as the ball of Krites in the second movie. And I want there to be something like that that would bust this movie up. Where like I would probably get mad if people said they didn't love this movie, you know, like, and I yeah. again I still find a lot of it charming. I think it's you know one of my favorite, uh, you know, if we're talking about more fun than horror horror movies of the eighties, this is on my list, man. I love this fucking movie, but 
Uh, but I don't think it reaches levels where it's like, no, that movie's really great because it doesn't quite deliver on the on all the ways it could with this premise, with these creatures. And I think the second movie takes more of an effort to kick it up a notch. Agreed. Although uh, the one thing I will say about this movie that they don't really do in the second one, and I think actually lends like an actual real sense of horror, is the when the one crate grows to be like the size of a person. Right. Um, that is scary. That's pretty scary when it's like growling and attacking the house. Like, I didn't like that very much. Yeah, I'll agree. I think they kind of suggested in the second movie, but they don't really make use of it because they had the idea of the giant crate ball, which is also cool too. But um, the idea that like as they eat, they can grow more is only kind of suggested in the second movie. Um, yeah. And it's utilized more in this movie. And I kind of like that. I like the idea that uh, if you're losing enough to these things that they could just get tougher and tougher is kind of neat. Um, but again, you know, I, I, I think by focusing more in the latter part of the movie on the family, you get more charming moments with characters, you know, but it also limits the amount of death count, you know, like the, the, the crates actually kill less people than they could considering. And it kind of limits the scope of what's happening. If, if they could have had the climax at the farmhouse while shit was popping off in the town more, I think that would have made for a more engaging movie that still hit a lot of the same notes with the family and the charmingness and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, one last note on this movie. When I was a little kid, uh, the TV Guide description of this movie was, I, I thought it was the funniest thing in the world because it was like, the, the, the description was, alien creatures come to a small town and eat a cow, which is technically true. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. I mean, I will say that the, the one thing about this movie that, I don't think is intentional, but it would be a fun way to read it is like a commentary on the cold war, you know, in the sense yeah. of like, uh, the U S was always letting various random terrorist type people run loose in, in, in all kinds of other countries and then sending, uh, black ops types to call havoc and rack up their own body count and not really caring that watching that part of it. I'm like, I know that's not on the minds of the filmmakers, but it's on my mind while watching it. Like how weird is it that this is what's happening in this movie? Because it's like, it's literally like this idea of like, well, there are more advanced civilizations and they don't need to worry about earth. Well, yeah, that makes sense to Americans because that's how we treat the rest of the world. Yeah. Look, there's us and there's, the evil empire and the various smaller countries we squish in our battle with each other. They don't really matter. You know, all that matters no. is us. It's like, it's kind of weird to think of it that way. Again, I'm not suggesting that that was on the mind of the makers of critters, but it's certainly on my mind watching it. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the sequel, 1988's critters Two. The main course. We'll be right back. Grover's Bend. It's just a speck on the map of the universe. Transform. They get a different class of tourist here. 
company's coming. Noisier. Pushier. They're turning this peaceful little town. Those hungry hairballs from outer space are on a roll. Let's just get help. Oh, who are we gonna call? Critter Busters? Oh! These guys are great. And they'll eat anything. We're gonna end up in Mara's leftovers. There must be hundreds of them. Critters 2, the main course. You got nothing to lose but your lives. And we are back to talk about 1988's sequel to Critters, Critters 2, the main course. Uh, it is... It's a fucking sequel to Critters. Like, what? That's the sequel to Critters. Hey, can I ask you a quick question, actually, before we jump into this? Because it just occurred to me. What's that? Is it weird that the beginning of the first Critters is very similar to the beginning of Night of the Creeps? Uh, no, and I was actually thinking that when I was watching it. I mean, they came out the same year, so I, I don't know that they influenced each other, but it is, it's just something that just occurred to me. I don't know why it didn't occur to me when I was watching it. I'm Except, like, wow, these um, are very similar in, in some ways. The aliens in Night of the Creeps that are on the, on the, the whatchamacallit, like the, the research station, yeah. scare the shit out of me. Yeah. I don't like the way those things look at all. They're so fucking creepy. And and also their you know the 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 creeps I guess you could call them are experiments. It's not like a prison thing, but it's just otherwise starting with this thing in 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 space is kind of funny. I wonder. I'm assuming both are drawing from other tropes, but I don't know what the reference is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, Critters Two. Sorry. Go ahead. Critters Two. Um, I, I mean, it picks up like at the end of the first one. Uh, the one bounty hunter, Ugg, gives Bran or Brad like a like a beeper, kind of like how Captain Marvel gave Nick Fury a beeper in case shit went bad. Uh, back on Earth, Brad Brown is not having a good time. He's visiting his grandmother back in town. Um, everyone thinks somehow that the critters weren't real, which. I, I, I don't know. That's just weird to me. There are fucking corpses are everywhere. Like, you'd think one person no, would but be like, But they no. mostly attack at the house, though, so I don't think it's completely off balance. No, but what I'm saying is, is like, you'd think they would have been, like, the next... Well, the house did get blown up, didn't it? Exactly. Okay. Um, okay, I'm on board with it. I'm now a critter's truther. I don't think it happened. Yeah. So, uh, basically, the film kicks off when... The film... When uh, Ugg, Charlie, and Lee are summoned by Zanti, the head of the High Council, that there are still Krites on Earth, that they didn't miss them. So they have to go back, and they find out that the Krites are still there, and fucking mayhem ensues, even more mayhem. Uh, we see the critters at one point form into a giant ball. Some would say a ball of destruction. <laughs> as the critters demonstrate their style. Stop. And... In one of the coolest scenes, 
when they fucking eat that guy as they roll over him. That so shit good. is fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty much just the second one with like a shot of like methamphetamine in, into the uh, into its you know up its wazoo. I mean, that's critters too. I mean, look, I'm only bringing this up because so many people do insist like, oh, critters, it's just a gremlin ripoff. Well, okay. There is a similarity that this movie kicks it up a notch, like really tries to go for the throat in comparison to the first movie, which you could argue Gremlins 2 does. Uh, this movie's better than Gremlins 2. Nah, nope. Yep. No. Fuck everyone who disagrees. Fuck nope. Gremlins 2. This movie's you better. You are fucking crazy. This movie's better than Gremlins 2. No, you're wrong. 100% it's we better. We are not. No. You're, you're fucking trolling me right now. I'm trolling lots of people, but I believe it because here's the reality. I think this is more of a consistent. We all think Gremlins 2 is fun. It's fun. It's a fun time. It's barely a fucking movie, man. This is a real movie, and it's still got the critter ball. No, this movie's better. <sighs> No, it doesn't. It, it's not better. It's not fucking better than Gremlins 2. <laughs> All right. You know, agree agree to disagree, man. You no, know? no, we are not agreeing to disagree. <laughs> this movie is not better than Gremlins 2. Significantly better. No, no, not even it's not even fucking close. The only the only scene in this movie that comes close to Gremlins 2 to to that comes within a fucking parsec of the 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 genius and the the power of Gremlins Two is when Ugg finds out that Lee is dead and loses his mind. That is a that is a moment in this movie that is an emotional moment. You feel Ugg's pain, you feel the trauma that he feels because his fucking home person is dead. Gremlins 2 has a scene where a gremlin pops out of a pot of noodles and it has goofy googly eyes and then it fucking has a chef hat. You're right. Critters 2 is better. You fucking go to go fuck yourself. (laughs) I didn't know this was directed by Mick Garris either, which is... Oh, I did a lot, actually. That's I, oh, I'm sorry. Could you see his fucking cinematic stamps all over it? I consider this because I didn't watch a lot of Masters of Horror or Amazing Stories. Um, this to me is the Mick Garris thing. What else do I care about that Mick Garris did? This, the the Shining miniseries. Ugh, yeah, get the fuck oh, out go of fuck here. yourself. Get the fuck out of here with that book. He did he did the Stand miniseries too, and both of them are bad. No, no. The Stand miniseries is bad. This is about Critters 2. Okay, can we just get back to Critters 2? Yeah, Critters 2 is Mick Garris' greatest achievement other than writing Hocus Pocus. I have so many emotions. (laughs) I I actually don't think that's really true because I I do hear that his uh, guiding hand on Masters of Horror was really important, and Masters of Horror was really important for a lot of people. Uh, And... What little I do remember of Amazing Stories is really good, which he was also in charge of. So I actually have more respect for him than I am pretending to. But that being said, uh, I think this movie is great. And I think uh, of his film work, this is very likely my favorite thing, period. This is not better than Gremlins 2. <laughs> this is not Nick Garris' <laughs> finest movie. 
man, this episode got so fun. Like I knew it was going to be fun, but this got really fun. I'm I'm processing what you're telling me right now, and I'm trying <laughs> to figure like a way back to Critters Two. Uh, uh, okay, so here's here's the thing for y'all. Um, when it when our man first comes back, it feels a little awkward because we're so quickly into there's eggs. Oh, there's eggs, and the eggs are everywhere. But um, it just immediately gets fun. It's just fun. But we also get to see the growth of Charlie. We get to see our main dude sort of become more of a more of a you know he's a mini man, but more more of an adult who makes adult decisions. The town finally learns that they're all assholes and that this thing really happened. Um, and you know when Lee dies. And we're left with Ugg. Um, the fact that Charlie... Now, I will say there there are moments of Charlie's development I don't love. Um, I think, you know, they, they kind of create a false tension when Charlie kind of uh, chickens out a little bit. I, I wish he kind of had sort of stood up a little earlier than he did. But when they think Charlie's dead and, and Ugg becomes Charlie, I love that. Um, you know, the, the burgeoning relationship between our, uh, you know, basically redheaded stepbrother and, uh, and, uh, the one female character we have his age, like, yeah, I, I dig that. Them in the, in the truck with the ball, fighting the ball and stuff. Oh, oh, it's so good. It's a, it's a roiling, even fucking Ugg pretending to be one of the crites to get them into the, the, uh, the meat. Factory, love that. Super cool. So good. It's just, a you know, there's just a lot here that works really well. Again, they also take some cheap decisions, I think. I think, um, you know, uh, once we've established that Charlie is, like, starting a new life, I think he doesn't need to be the butt of any jokes, but they do go to that a couple times. So, you know, I don't don't love that. And I think think it is fair to say that they – don't respect the autonomy or uh, agency of the Krites. They they sort of rely on them as dumb animals, really. And that's fine. Like, it, it works for the plot. But one of the things I thought worked about that first movie is that they had at least some amount of intelligence, you know, that... They had agency, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I think the idea in the first movie is that they... And this is probably why they're in prison. They go kill crazy. But there's a couple of moments where they come out of their kill craziness to be like... Oh man, are we about to get killed here? This is not. You know what I mean? Like I kind of like those moments, right? In this movie, they're they really feel like just animals. And so when um Ugg in crite form yells at them to just go get hamburgers because there's no bones in hamburgers, <laughs> it doesn't work because we haven't seen them talk enough to have opinions and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, plus it's just a stupid line. It's just, it, it, I mean, it made me laugh in the moment. I was like, hey, no bones and hamburgers. <laughs> in retrospect, I'm like, that's ah, kind of cheap. It's kind of cheap. But you know, the whole point of the movie to me seems to be, let's f- lean into the fun of the first movie, especially because in some ways the first movie wanted to be a little more dramatic. And so I like that the second movie's amping up the fun, much like gremlins too. The only thing I really don't like about this movie that I think is like an actual technical shortcoming, aside from what you just said, because I do think you're right in the fact that they making the Krites like just kind of dumb creatures 
I think does take away from it a, a little bit, especially because they then try to make him be like kind of jokey. Like right. at several points, they say shit like, uh oh, and like, you know, like they, they, they clearly speak English. Um, I don't think the scene where we think Charlie dies by flying the ship into the ball of Kreitz. Right. I, I don't think that's earned at all because like, I remember seeing that scene when I was a little kid and from what I remember, it was this big dramatic moment, but it's literally like five seconds from when they see the ship and they're like, Charlie. And he's like, oh, I'm a bounty hunter. And then he crashes into the, into the ball. And it's so like, what just happened? Like Charlie, they, you know, like, was Charlie a bad bounty hunter? Did, was like, aside from him running away, did like, you know, because they make it clear, like at one point when, when they say they're going back to Earth, he tells Ugg, he's like, you guys aren't going to leave me there. And Ugg's like, no, no, you're good, man. We're like, we, we like having you around. Like, it, it's not that Charlie's status as a bounty hunter is like called in the questions, in the question. It just feels like super unearned for Charlie to pretend to sacrifice himself to, 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 to kill the Krites. I wouldn't say he pretends to sacrifice himself. He just ejects and they didn't know he ejected. But I'm saying like we as the we as the audience think like, oh, Charlie just killed himself. Well, I think there's a when he runs away, it's kind of a dark moment. And I think this is supposed to suggest that, you know, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I actually I, I do think I agree with you on that because I think it's just a deus ex machina because they don't know how to kill the damn Kreitz. They've run out of options here. You know, they, they what are we going to do about the Kreitz? You know what I mean? And so they need something. I just think, you know, it would make I, – I, I agree to the extent of, like, why not just have him shoot them with some sort of la- – like, the ship has lasers or something, right? Like, what the fuck? You know, it's got to have the, external weapons. Just, the ship has lasers, and they have, like, bazookas that they carry around. Like, they could have broken that ball up by sh- – I mean, not to get all technical, but, like – I don't know. It just seems like, and plus, this is fucking Kansas. Like they have, think people have guns. I I thought they had already tried shooting it, and it wasn't effective. I don't know. I was probably too busy not paying attention at that point. <laughs> I mean, look, I get the feeling that for you, this is like not that great a ride. But I'm in on Critters too. I think it's pretty. No, I mean, great. I, I I didn't hate it. You know, like I said, all my memories of what I thought I, my memories of what I thought about seeing critters as a kid yeah. was mostly from critters too. Yeah. I don't dislike either of these movies. It's just I don't think they've aged as well. Like I fucking loved critters when I was a kid. Um I just don't think they've aged well to me, but that's a comment on me. That's not a comment on these movies. Hmm. It's I'm the one who's changed. Okay? Not the Krites. <laughs> I I do like at the end of this though when like because, like, Ugg is usually very, like, stoic and very, like, he's very, he's a man or a, he's a being a few words. And, like, when he says goodbye to Brad, he just has that, like, Brad, you son of a bitch. Like, he's very, like, I don't know. I just, I, I really, I thought that was cool. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what to make. I mean, the, the whole movie is fun. So I guess it makes sense that Charlie shows up at the end for a joke about there now being two Charlies and that's whatever. But I will say it, the the movie does sort of lose steam for me by that point where I'm kind of like a little less invested. Whereas there are tons of parts where I'm just having fun with it. And again, I, you know, that doesn't make it deep or anything. And, and certainly 
I, I think the you know they talked about this movie a little bit in that um, I forget what that documentary is, but it's about eighties horror, in search of darkness or something like that. I don't I don't know some dramatic name. And they have a section of this movie, and you know I think it's pretty clear to the people who made this movie that you know it was a it was more of a financial decision than an artistic one. You know, critters did pretty good. And so let's let's try to make that money again, and so uh, I, I think the movie kind of reflects that to some extent. But if you're gonna do that, right? Like, you guys seem to like this the first time, so let's try it again. Then you got to deliver more, and I, and I'm okay with that, you know. And I think the movie it does that successfully enough that I feel pretty good about it. But is there like much thought going in? No. I mean, one of the things that's maybe a little off-putting about the first movie is that it, it does try to add a little bit to the movie to make it a little more, maybe not serious, but, you know, add a little bit of depth to it. And this movie kind of throws that out the window a little bit. It's like, I don't give a fuck about that. Let's just have lots of cool critter stuff. The crites yeah, exactly. do more cool shit. I'm okay with that too, though. You know, like I, 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 I kind of appreciate the sincerity of the first movie, but I, I maybe prefer the wildness of this movie. But I will say that by the end of this movie, I was definitely kind of like, okay, whatever. Like I, I just wasn't invested anymore by the time we were through. And maybe that means the movie could be a little bit shorter. Uh, I don't know, but, uh, but I certainly. Um, I, I didn't really care about it much after a while. But, 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 but for me, I mean, uh, fans of the show have accused me of not loving fun, you know? <laughs> and so uh, put this on my fun horror movie list. I like this movie a lot. I have fun with it. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't, you know, say it's a, it's a great or anything like that. Um, I also but it is better than out. Gremlins 2. Uh, go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> I, for a moment... I didn't want to. I didn't want to check my phone while I was watching this, but there was a minute where I thought that the like the nerdy restaurant owner. Yeah. I thought that was Lee Schreiber, Stop. and it was like, I'm completely serious. You like, are a look crazy at that person. No, does he not look like a young Lee no. Schreiber? Minus like, no, you're no, you you're delusional. No way. No. Okay. I'm going to post on the Har Business Twitter and the Har Business Instagram and on my personal fucking Instagram side-by-shots shots of actor Eddie Deason and Lee Schreiber. And they, there is a passing resemblance there. You are a crazy person. God damn it. <sighs> hey, did you know that in Critters Part 4, do you know who the main bad guy is? Here's the thing about that. Not just that I don't think they look alike, right? It's also that Eddie Deason was a cultural phenomena. Like, he's like a big deal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's a step below saying, don't you think this guy looks like uh, uh, Liev Schreiber and it's Pauly Shore? No. Okay. Eddie Look, Deason is just was, below Pauly Shore in cultural phenomena. When I was a child, I believed that Phil Collins and Bill Murray looked alike. That was asinine. That was irrational. That was unreasonable. I own up to that. I will not back down from Eddie Deason and Lee Schreiber look enough alike that, yeah. I'm going to fucking murder you for saying that Gremlins 2 isn't as good as this movie. I mean, I like Gremlins 2. It's fine. And I like Critters 2. 
It's just not as good as Gremlins 2. You know, whatever. Agree to disagree. <laughs> God damn it. I can't even get through it. This is simply about, you know what this is simply about for me, is that friends who love Gremlins 2, really love it, like to joke constantly about how it's better than Gremlins, right? And uh, I just am so much more like Critters 2 is better than Critters, uh, but they get compared to each other a lot, that I, it just makes me laugh to be like, well, Critters 2 is better than Gremlins 2. So. Because I don't think Gremlins 2 is better than Gremlins. I just really don't. And I think that's a crazy thing to say. No, no. Gremlins is one of the greatest films of all time. Thank you. All right. Well, that was our Critters episode. Um, <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, we apologize for the near fist fight that Liam and I got into. Um, Whatever. You wouldn't drive all the way out here just to fight me about that. Uh, you are greatly underestimating also, the level. Also, hey, fan base, people who listen to the show, come at me. Let's talk about this on Twitter because I think that it's better. So fuck you. They're going to. They're going to. Also, let us know if you think we should watch Critters 3 and 4. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> so, thank you for listening. If you are listening to us on iTunes, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and download, download, download. You can head to cinepunks.com to find more episodes of Hard Business and a bunch of other great podcasts uh, and a bunch of great articles, including, you know, some by me. You know, you know how it goes. If you want to become a patron, head to patreon.com backslash cinepunks. Be sure to check out our sponsors, uh, LVAC at www.xlvacx and Essex Coffee Roasters at Essex Coffee Roaster. Singular or plural? I always mess this up. Plural. EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. And remember, when you order, be sure to enter Cinepunks, all capitals, in the promo code for 10% off. And until next time, fuck Ted Cruz, fuck Lindsey Graham, and fuck Ron Johnson. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Rebels 2 is better than Critters 2. Bye. Bye. Don't talk, just listen. Under the black sun, there is no hope, only mystery. Wonder and danger. Black Sun Dispatches on the Cinephones Podcast Network. All right, Josh, we got to do this ad. We got to come up with something. What do we want people to know about Cinepunks? I don't know, man. I feel like they should know everything about Cinepunks. <sighs> All right. We're underachieving overachievers convinced that we know a thing or two about movies. Romance and adventure by the light of the silver screen. Is non judgmental movie criticism a thing? Not really, but we love you anyway. We love cinema, whether it's high art or low trash. Cinepunks, we're elitists, but only about real nerd shit. Liam and Josh, we have two microphones and the truth.